right. That was awesome. So we are jumping right back in. I know that a lot of you guys are short on sleep. I dare not do a poll right now of who got the least amount of sleep. I'll know. I just look at you guys, and I can already tell some of you guys look very warm and cozy already. But like I said last night, this is not about me. I'm here to be your servant, to serve you with God's word, to share and be a messenger, and to bring you the, the greatest news, the greatest, most important things in the world that you could ever imagine or think of. And last night I shared something I'm going to repeat. I'm going to repeat some things from last night and throughout this whole weekend. We're going to continue to build upon them. And I did mention to you that if I'm accurately speaking this word, sharing with you what's in here, then, then I'm, I'm speaking for God. Um, and I'm going to say things that you're going to love today. And, and then the question you should ask yourself is not if you like it or not, or if you love it or not, but if it's true. And likewise, I'm going to say some things that are going to tick you off today. And I promise you, I never say anything like that to get, get, a, get, a, you, know, get you going, because I like just messing with people. I'll never say anything to make you upset on purpose, but I will share with things, things with you that are true that may make you upset. And then again, the question you should ask yourself is not, does this make me feel good inside or not, or do I like this or not, but is it true? Because if it's true and you love it, it's not because I'm great, but it's because the God of the Bible is. And if it's true and you don't like it, then your ultimate issue is not with me, but with God. And if any of this is true, and it is, then we have to live a certain way in light of it. So on that note, I want to share something that will connect with the rest of the theme of this morning's chapel session, is that one of the greatest temptations that all of us have, and I said this last summer, is to do three R's, okay? We have three, three R's that we can have with God, and that's we can reject Him, Remake them or receive them. Reject, remake, receive. And it's worth repeating because the reality is I would actually rather you reject him than remake him. Students, I'd love for all of you to receive Jesus and all, all that he is and all that the Bible shows him to be. But I would rather you reject him than remake him. See, because the, the problem is, is that when we hear something about God that we do not like, that doesn't fit in our mindset, our paradigm of how the world should be and how our culture says he should be, then what we can often subtly do is start to remake God, start to tweak him, change him, edit him, until he finally becomes so domesticated, so personalized, so just like us, that he's no longer anything what he actually is. So we remake him. And, and the, the problem of, of that is when we remake him like that, we can subtly believe the lie that we're actually receiving the real Jesus. But it's actually the remade version of Jesus. But we think we're, we're following the real God. And, that, and that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why I'd rather you reject him. Because if you reject him, then at least you're rejecting the real him. And then you have a chance to actually come back to the real him. But if you start from the foundation of remaking him and stripping him down to be whatever you want to be, then you can't actually come back to him because you, you're not with him. And you think you're with him. And that's why so often worship is so weak. You know, we have these songs like highest hallelujah and we'll give you the praise and all this stuff. And, and I, know, I know when I was your age, I would think sometimes you're like, I mean, not really. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you're great. Thanks for dying for me and stuff like that. But like our worship is so small because we've made God so small. 
We've, we've stripped him so much of who he is, all his mystery, all the ways that he challenges us, uh, any way that makes him God and not like man, uh, uh, we, we have shifted it to where he's very man-sized and man, man understanding. And, and, and so what, what, what that's done is it's shrunk in our hearts and makes God not that awe-giving, not that wonderful, not that glorious. He's so small, and that's why your worship is so small. That's why uh, someone grabbing a ball and crossing a line gets you more excited, you know, or a ball going through a hoop gets you more excited, or a relationship gets you more excited, or A, on a test or a big exam gets you more excited because God is so small in your eyes. Now, if you did not grow up in church, maybe you haven't done this yet, and so that's, that's why I'm so excited you're here, so that you can get the, the real thing straight from the source, and you have an option to do three things. You can remake him as you listen. Hey, you know, I, I do kind of like that God thing, but let me just tweak it a little, or, or you can reject him. Say, I, I'm not about that God, if that's what God is about, or you can receive him in all that he is, and that's my challenge for you this weekend and your whole life is to receive this God in all, in all of who he is. In the times that makes your heart sore, say, there, there can't be a love this great. In the times that you can say, wow, God, really? You do that? You got to receive all. Just like any relationship, any healthy relationship, you can't go on if you're constantly trying to remake it. And if any of you guys have been in any dating relationships, um, you may know what it's like to be with someone who's constantly trying to change you, to make you that perfect girlfriend or boyfriend. It's not fun. It's not fun when you feel it. God doesn't like it either. And so what I want to do is I want to start with prayer. And what I want to do is lead you into prayer sequence. And what that means is that I want to take a minute for us to pray for our own hearts. Settle our hearts down. Focus on what's going on inside. Talking to God individually, saying, God, if you're real, God, please draw me near to you. Reveal yourself to me and so forth. And then we want to pray for each other. Pray for those sitting around you, and then finally, would you pray for me that I could serve you well tonight, this morning, with God's Word. So, um, just welcome you to close your eyes, if you're willing, just to focus. I have ADHD myself. I struggle with ADHD tendencies, so I know what it's like to, to be distracted, so that's just why I welcome you to close your eyes. And so, for the next minute, would you just pray, pray to God, your own heart, and just say, God, would you speak to me today? Would you help me focus? Would you waken me up? Energize me? Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're hurting. Whatever it is, he can handle it. Just tell him what you're, what you're feeling. If you don't care about him right now, if you're upset at him, if your heart is calloused and hard towards tell him that. He knows. Then I'll take a minute to pray for those sitting around you that God would work in them. And if you've been in cabin discussions, you already know the different challenges different people are coming here. Maybe they've never heard this stuff, so all this is foreign language. It's like gibberish. It's like alien language for them. You know, or maybe you know something hard going on at home. Whatever it is, pray for those sitting around you that God would speak to them and work in them just as much as in you.
And then finally, would you just take a minute to pray for me, that God would empower me to serve you well this morning. This will not be an easy talk. Father, help me preach the truth and nothing but the truth. Oh, help me. Help me serve these students. Give me fresh affection for them. Love them as you love them. Help me see them as you see them. Serve them well. Empower me right now. I love you, Father. And we want to love you more through this time. And for those who don't know you yet, don't know your marvelous love, would you continue to just woo them and draw them into your hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, thank you. I know it's a little warm in here. Listen, if you need to stand up, just stand in the back. Like in college, you're allowed to do that. I don't know if you're allowed to do that in high school or in youth group. But you can stand up. You're like, man, I'm passing out. I'm about to pass out. And I want to listen in. Just stand up. Just stand in the background. You know, it's hard to fall asleep when you're standing. So um, I just want to help you guys out. I get it. I get it. It's, these weekends are insane. Like if I was, if I was you, I would, be, I would be sleeping right now. So um, I, I get where you guys are coming from. Now, let me remind ourselves where we're at in this story, this historical story that happened. Jonah is a prophet for Israel being asked to go to be a prophet to his mortal enemy. And he doesn't like this. He goes the opposite way. He says no to God. He runs away. And God is pursuing him in patience and in love. So God sends a storm not to punish Jonah for a sin, to bring him back from his sin. And oftentimes God sends us storms not to punish us for our sins, but to waken us up to reality that we are so asleep to. So Jonah is caught and exposed for the hypocrite that he is, and every minute he waits is borrowed time. The ship is literally about to explode because of all the tremendous force of the waves and the wind, and any minute they're going to capsize and all die. So we find ourselves in verse 11. So like last night, I'd love for you to read with me out loud. So let's, let's do this loudly if you can. Then they said to him, Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Tempestuous is a hard word, and you guys did well. The junior hires that I preached to like two weeks ago, they were like, it was all strong. And the moment we got the tempestuous, they were like, what? What was? Uh huh? Tempestuous? What? Yeah, good job. So a tempest is just just a crazy storm. And and as I shared last night, we're not talking like you know, for the purposes of the the skit, they can't really show you the full magnitude of it. Um, and that they're kind of just quietly talking, but they would be panicking and screaming, what? You know, just screaming out of the top of their lungs, trying to survive because the, the weight of the waves and the, the sound and everything. Now, in this situation, we see Jonah perhaps care about another person for the first time in the book, which is a good start, as selfish as he is being. But some scholars believe that he is being compassionate here when he says this line, because of me, that this great tempest has come upon you. So it's possible that he's being compassionate for these sailors. He wants to care for them. However, if you read through the rest of the book this weekend, and as you will in chapel, you'll see that we see an increasingly hard heart towards other people and an uh, increasing desire to die from Jonah. 
Jonah is, please don't laugh about this, but Jonah is very quick to be suicidal. He's very quick to want to die. He's very dramatic. Like, any little thing goes on, he's like, oh, I just want to die, right? He's just like, he's that guy that like, he just pulls the death card very quickly, just all the time he wants to die. And so I'm not really sure exactly where Jonah's heart is at here in this statement, because later on we see that he doesn't give a rip about his own life and he's willing to die rather than submit to God in his way. So it, 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 it leads to some questions. Does Jonah care about these sailors, these pagan non-Jewish sailors for once, or does he just care about himself and he just wants to get out of his issue by dying? We don't know. And that's kind of the power of this book, is that there are a number of times throughout the book of Jonah that it kind of leaves it open in the air, and we're not sure Jonah's heart behind something, which may be the genius of the story drawing us out, because we don't always know why we do what we do. We think we do, but sometimes there's undercurrents working behind the scenes, influences, trauma in the background, different things that are causing us idols in our life that are causing us and influencing us deeply, driving us to the decisions that we make. And we don't know exactly why we do what we do. And that is maybe a question that the author is laying down for all of us is why do you do what you do? Why are you here? Why do you say what you say? Why do you believe what you believe? Now let's keep going. Verse 13. Instead of killing him, the sailors opt to try to do something else. Nevertheless, would you read, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Well done, well done. So you're trying to save yourself on your terms. It's a losing battle against a God of the sea and against the God of everything. So, so far, the sailors, they have tried calling out to their other gods. It didn't, didn't work. They tried lightening the ship. It didn't work. They tried asking Jonah to pray. It, he wouldn't pray. They tried to cast lots and found out they, that worked. Then they're interrogating Jonah, and they find out the solution to their issues is not what they want. It, so then they try to row against God. Nothing's worked. But there's one more option they haven't tried yet. Verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. I was a little rough that time, guys. <laughs> but it was pretty good. I'm grateful you guys just read. So, so this, this is a very significant passage, and we're going to spend some time here. There, there, there's a lot that we're covering this morning, so I'm going to have to take a couple of um, pit stops and stay there and then fly through some other spots. I can't give all of it equal time uh, for the, the purposes of this camp. But they, the first prayer, the first prayer in this chapter does not come from Jonah, but who? The sailors. These pagan sailors who shouldn't know Yahweh, who shouldn't care, who are hardened towards him. They're the ones who are praying first. And you can see how much they fear Yahweh. They respect him. They want to honor him. They're like, hey, God, we don't want to do this. Like, are you watching? I think you're watching. Like, we don't want to do this. This is that guy's idea. It's his fault. We're just trying to be faithful. Please don't kill us. Okay? Right? They're, they're just trying. They're, they're treading softly. They respect this God. They realize that this, this storm is of divine origin. And they're like, man, we don't want to mess with this God. Okay? Or we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna trust him. But they say this line that is so powerful, so important. That most of us, if we read this book on our own, we will fly through it real quickly. But it is one of the most important verses in this book. For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. 
Would you read that out loud? You can just say, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. That line itself, if you actually think about it, can be an incredibly important line, incredibly offensive line, if you think about it. We see this throughout the whole book of the Bible. Let me give you one more reference. It's in Psalm 115.3, if you're taking notes, but it's on the screen. Our God is in the heaven. He does some, does all that he pleases. God does all that he pleases. God does all that he pleases. Anything he wants to do, he does. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've walked with him for some time, this is one of the most comforting lines you could ever hear. Oh, I'm so so glad that God has control of everything. I'm so glad he does whatever he wants. But if you don't know his heart, if you don't trust him, then this is a terrifying line. This is an offensive line. This makes you say, how dare you, God, do what you want? Because we want a God that will flex to our agenda. We want a God that does whatever he pleases as long as we get to do whatever we please. But the moment he gets in in the way of our pleasing, our desires, oh man, I won't give you my worship, God. I will give you my curses. I will give you my distrust. I will give you my distance. But as much as we all struggle with this statement, and I struggle with this statement at times, because there are times that God does something in this book or in our life and in my life that I'm like, okay, that's a a head scratcher, God. That doesn't fit my picture of how the world should be. Why are you doing that? So I'm in the boat with you, probably at a different level with you, because I've been wrestling through this for some years. And the more and more I walk with him, the more and more I trust him, the more I know him, I'm like, oh, okay, oh, wow, you were smarter than me. Oh, you did have good plans. As I get older, I look back and say, oh, wow, you knew exactly what you were doing. Thank you for not listening to me. (laughs) But, But as much as we struggle with the statement that God does whatever he pleases, let me ask you the question, what's the alternative? Listen, what's the alternative to God doing whatever he pleases? God doing whatever we please? How long will the universe exist? (laughs) Which one of us should he do? Like, which one of us should he choose to do whatever we please? Because we don't all please the same thing. We don't always want the same thing, right? If you want one thing, you want one thing. Who does God listen to? He's like, me, me, right? Is there anybody in this room that you're like, oh, God, please don't listen to them, right? <laughs> right? If, they, if it was their will and their purposes to come to pass in the world, we would not exist within a few days, right? What is the alternative of God doing whatever he pleases us, me? How many times have you been wrong in your life about something? How many times have you looked back and you're like, man, I was dumb, Right? How many times have you been in a relationship that you were head over heels with, and then afterwards you're realizing, dang, that, was, that person was crazy, and everybody knew but me, because I was dumb, right? <laughs> Maybe you haven't done that yet, but it's great. It's a great time. <laughs> when I mean great time, I mean it's the worst. It's the worst. Being in a relationship, and everyone else sees how dumb of a relationship it is, and yet you're blinded by your own selfish reasons or your own love or lust, and everyone else was in on it, and they knew, right? But let me get, seriously just consider, what would the alternative of God doing whatever he pleases? I can't think of a good one. In moments, I can think of a good one. In moments of pain and trial, when God doesn't do what I want, I'm like, okay, okay God, you, sh- you should have done it this way. But the problem is, I don't see all that he sees. I don't know all that he knows. 
See, if we were to come up with an alternative from God doing whatever he pleases, how would we come up with that? We would probably try to find the person who's the smartest person that we know, right? Because they need to know more things about things to have good decisions, right? You don't go to the person who knows the least, right? Biden and his cabinet don't go like, quick, let's find someone who knows nothing about the dynamics between Ukraine and Russia. They should know. They should give us the ideas of what to do. Let's find the most uneducated person. No, no, no. They would go to the, who's the most educated, who understands the longstanding history and the cultural dynamics that are going at play and per Putin's spiritual mindset that, that's driving him to make some of the decisions he's doing, right? You go to that person. You'd also want to find someone who's trustworthy. Let's say the person's smart, but you don't want to go to the person who's smart, but is a constant pathological liar, right? You would want someone who's trustworthy. You want to trust their heart. You want to trust their, their, their motivations, but that person doesn't exist. <laughs> that person may exist in some pockets for certain situations, but you need a, a, a God, a, you need a person who has omni-understanding about every single situation to run this world well, right? You don't need to know just more about Russia and, and Ukraine. You'd have to understand about Belarus, and you'd have to understand about how Germany is going to come to play, and, and what will China do with Taiwan, and what, what, is, what are we going to do in the, the U.S.? And how are, you see how it's infinitely complex, to understand about everything. And then you'd have to have a very, very big heart and a trustworthy heart to be able to manage all of that. And so for me, I do not have any other alternative than to say, man, I am glad that God does whatever he pleases. Except again, there lies the problem when he does things that we don't please. We're going to get to that in a little bit. A lot of us struggle with these statements, like I said last night, is because we have a bargaining system with God. This is how it goes for many of us. We say, God, I will give you my religious rituals. I will be morally better than most people. D definitely better than my non-Christian friends, those heathens. <laughs> and as a result, we secretly believe that we place God in our debt, that God now is indebted to us to then give us the life we want, to bless us, bless our health, bless our wealth, Bless our relationships, our career choices, our dreams. And if he doesn't, then he violated his end of the bargain. Then we question his goodness and even his existence. Let me show you how often this is so true. Let, 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 me, let me just use an illustration to expose all of us, okay? Because this is, this is something all of us struggle with at some level. Imagine you leave camp. You go home and you're super hyped up. You're like, man, I love you, Jesus. Like, I'm all about you. I'm all about this life and you drain your bank account, and you give it to your church. You're like, man, I want to give this to missions. I want to give it for the nations. I want to care for the poor, and you give it all away. And imagine you're just super happy. You're super proud of yourself. Man, I'm so generous, man. No one's generous like me, man. None of my friends did what I did. I'm so great. And then imagine you leave the parking lot of your church, and while you're leaving the parking lot of the church, some kid who's just learning how to drive runs you over, okay? Breaks your legs, okay? Breaks your legs, He's a student driver, you know, he was driving slow, but he still run, ran you over, and now you're in the hospital. Imagine you're in the hospital. You just gave away your life savings to the Lord, and now you're in the hospital. How do you feel towards God? Is the way you feel towards God any different because you just gave all that money away? Can someone be honest? Would, would some of you guys be like, listen, God, did you see what I just did? How could you 
let someone break my legs after I just gave away all. I, I gave more than anybody else I know. Any, anyone, anyone struggle with God right there? Anyone want to be honest? Okay, so the rest of you guys are either saying, man, no, I, man, take my life, do whatever you want, God, everything's good, I'll love, we'll love and worship you, or you guys are just not listening. <laughs> see, see th- this little exercise I did exposes that often we think we have a transactional relationship with God, a bargaining relationship with God. As long as our agenda goes forth in life, our desires, our purposes, our plans, then, then, then we'll give God his due, his worship. Is there any possible way we can lower the heat in this room? That would be great if there's if that's if that's possible. Some of you guys are going in a coma. I can see you guys just kind of <laughs> curling up. I, I see it. I see it. It's happening in real time in front of my eyes. Just slowly slinking down. Okay. Listen, so much of the challenge we have with God is being okay with God being God, trusting God and letting God be God. And we want a piece of the throne. And that is problematic because he will not share his throne. His purposes, his plans, he will do as he pleases. And as long as you fight that, you will be miserable. You will be miserable in the long run. You may have momentary moments of happiness, but I promise you, you fighting against the will of God, trying to impose your own will is a losing battle. It is not the path to life and joy. And if you can trust him and let him be God and you not have to control, you not have to be smart enough, you not have to be strong enough, good enough, man, it is so freeing. It is so freeing when you can just stop fighting, stop trying to be God. It is so freeing, and I want that for for all of you this weekend. And I get it. There's some things that don't add up in your life. You've gone through things more than I know. You've gone through things in this room. Some of you have gone through some, some crazy stuff. And you're like, well, how can I trust God when he let that happen? I get that. And I'm going to get there in a minute. There are uncertainties about the future. I get it. There's uncertainties about our past. But let, when we let God be God, it is freedom. And I wonder if any of you here are tired of trying to be God. Try to sit on the throne. Trying to be in control. Take care of yourself. Be good enough. You can, you can give up this weekend. Now let's get back to the text. Verse 15. Let's see what happens next. So the sailors finally listen, verse 15, they pick up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea and the sea cease from its raging. They hurl him in and all of a sudden it's quiet and it's peaceful, just demonstrating that this was a divine storm. This was a storm that was otherworldly. It wasn't something that just happened to be, that they're just imagining all this incredible, clear evidence in the authority, the power, the sovereignty of God over the seas. And look at the response of the sailors as they realize this. They're taking all this in. Verse 16. Would you read this with me? I know. Part of me having you read it, because I want you to read through the whole book, and the other part is to keep you guys alert. Okay? So verse 16. Then the men... Okay, so... Oftentimes, when people are in trouble, they'll make vows to God. They'll make promises to God, right? They're like, there's a storm in their life. Their child is dying. They're like, God, I promise you, if you spare my son or if you get me out of this situation, I will serve you. But you notice, when do the sailors make these vows? After. 
After the storm is done, why? Because some, something has happened in their heart. They're calling God by his personal name. They're calling him Yahweh. They, they want to follow him. You're going to actually see that in the next, oh, it says the Lord, but um, I don't think it's showing the all caps. They sacrifice to him because their hearts are in awe of him. They're saying, this God is worthy of my attention. He is worthy of my affection. He's worthy of my allegiance. I'm going to follow him, and they make vows to him, and, the, and, and, and I suspect I'm going to see them in heaven one day. In contrast to Jonah, they're more righteous than Jonah, which is the theme throughout this book, is that these pagan sailors, these guys are the ones who get it, who are awakened to Yahweh and his reality and following him while all these other, uh, while Jonah is still spiritually asleep. So what's going on here with Jonah? Verse 17. Okay, so imagine Jonah is hurled into the sea and he's sinking down. In verse 17, and Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God, using his power and his authority, his sovereignty, appoints. He's not only the God over the seas. He's God over all flesh, all animals, all things. So he appoints this giant fish to swallow up Jonah. As you can see, like Jonah's like, oh my gosh, save me, God. And all of a sudden, a giant fish comes. He's like, not like this, right? Like, and this giant fish comes and swallows him. And then he's just in this belly for three days and three nights. Now, listen, this is a mercy from God. This is a mercy. God could just let him drown. And that would be a just execution of this wayward, rebellious prophet. But God, in his mercy, saves Jonah with a very uncomfortable Savior. Now, I realize, as some of you hear this, maybe for the first time, if you're not from a church, if you're from a church background, you hear this, and you're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 in the belly of a fish. And he's, like, sitting there comfy, and he has, like, a candle or something like that, right? He's just very comfortable, like Geppetto or whatever in Pinocchio, okay? Yeah, you guys know what I'm saying. You, young, you, you younger kids, you guys know about Pinocchio? Okay, okay, you guys, you guys got that. All right. But if you are not from a church background and you don't take this for granted, you're like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, Sam. Okay, I was kind of listening to you, and then you lost me. You are you telling me a giant fish came out of nowhere and swallowed this man up, and this guy is this this dude is getting digested in a belly for three days and he's alive. Yes. Yes. You're like, I'm out. I'm out. You guys are crazy. Jesus came. I'm crazy crazy, right? But listen, the reason why you would say that, think that, is because you have an inaccurate view of God. Look at Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Listen, if you read the whole Bible, you're going to find a lot harder things to believe than a man getting swallowed up by a fish, that's nothing. And if you struggle with that, it's because you just do not see God accurately yet. You think that that's hard for God? If God can create all of this entire universe just by speaking, you think that's hard for him? If God could raise Christ Jesus from the dead and forgive our debts and conquer death, you think that's hard for him to swallow a, a little man? No, not hard for him at all. Now, different scholars over the years have made different hypothesis and different theories about how this could actually work because it, it seems that there's record of different 
people being found in fishes over the years, giant fish who have multiple bellies, and some of the bellies could be inhabited by a person, though unconscious. And so there's some stories of, you know, sailors who lost a guy, and they're like, where's Fred? I don't know where's Fred in. And then they catch a giant fish, like a huge fish, and they're like cutting up this fish for dinner, and they're like, oh my gosh, Fred's in, in the fish, right? So we've heard stories about that over the years, and the stomach acids bleaches them, and all that stuff, and, and that could be true. I don't know how it all works, and you know, that's all fun and interesting, but what I do know is that it's a miracle regardless. This guy is, is unconscious, <laughs> praying in this, I don't know if he's conscious or not, I, I, that's a guess, that's speculation, and he is being slowly digested, and yet God is sustaining his breath and his life because God has a plan for Jonah. And so if God did not have his attention yet, he does now. So verse one, finally Jonah prays. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah's finally spiritually awake, kind of, kind of. See, sometimes what it takes is the most painful, awful situations to wake us up to reality, to strip away all the fluff in our life, all the distractions, and waken us up to reality. And one of the things that Hume does so well is that when you're away from home and all the environments at home that could be sometimes toxic and distracting and hard, it just kind of, Hume has a way to kind of strip a lot of that away. But, but what would do even more is hardship, and oftentimes Christians, we need that to waken up and you talk to a Christian who's gone through a great trial, and afterwards they say, I would not wish that on my enemy, but I'm so glad that I went through it because it woke me up to reality. It drew me closer to God, and that's what God is using this storm and this belly of this fish to do for Jonah. Now, verse 2, Jonah's now going to get into a lengthy prayer that we can't get into a lot of the details. It is thorough. There, there is a lot here, so if you want to know more, you can pull me aside or talk to a a leader, but saying, verse two, would you read this out loud with me? Come back with me. I called out to the Lord. Good. Very good. Now, what I would love to do is that if this side, could you outbeat this side? Because this side right here, even like these three, these three rows are just crushing it. All right. You guys, you guys just, you guys can't read or you're tired or something. I don't know what it is. Okay. So listen, so I don't know. Were you reading out loud? Okay. All right. All right. I'll give you credit to you. All right. Mm. Okay. So listen, so Jonah uses this language that's very much like hell. Some people think that Jonah actually died and, and then was resurrected. That's, that's maybe possible, but, but, but I think he's just using very strong language because he was, he was plunged down, you know, he's thrown and hurled into the sea, and he's cascading down into the depths of the sea, and while he's doing that, you're going to see all this different language, like seaweed is wrapping around him, like he's freaking out, he's panicking, and in that moment, in that moment, in this dark hour as he's going lower, remember I said this yesterday, that the language throughout this book is that God is calling him up into life and into obedience, and Jonah continually goes lower and lower and lower away from life into death, and Jonah is falling down into death, and then in that moment of death, in his darkest hour, he cries out, he remembers God, he cries out for salvation, to be saved, and God is merciful and sends a fish. And like I said, he's like, no, not like that. But, but God has his ways. Verse 4. Come on, left side right here, or right side for your right, my left. Then I said, I'm Woo! 
right, some of you guys can read. This is good. Good news. The public system, public, public education system hasn't fully failed yet. Okay, verse 4. So he's driven away. So remember, he's fleeing from the face of God through that, this, this whole book so far. And now he believes that he'll once again return to the temple which the temple represented the special presence of God. And so Jonah has this hope that he's going to see God. He's going to connect with God. He's going to turn his face, not see him literally at this moment. But this is, this is hopeful news. This is Jonah saying, we're good, God. Like, I, I want to get right with you. I want to be near you. Now, verse 5 through 7, I'm going to fly through. We're going to read through it quickly, and I'm going to make a couple of important notes. Uh, starting verse 5, would you read with me? The waters... I went down to the land whose bars closed. Oh. All right. It wasn't pretty, but you got it done. All right. Listen. So he's crying out to God, and God saves him with this fish. Now, Jonah, if you look at his prayer, it's full of gratitude and thanksgiving. He's recounting what God is doing, which is incredible. Because where is Jonah as he's saying this thanksgiving prayer? He's in the fish. The bro is being digested, and he's thanking God. He's not thanking him once he gets out of the fish. He's thanking him while he's in the midst of the belly of the beast, which is amazing, which is a spiritual secret that many... Christians have fallen, figured out throughout the years is that your circumstances should not dictate your gratitude, right? Your gratitude is not shackled by your circumstances. Can you, do you, do you understand a Christianity like this, that you could worship God in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the belly? See, because the reality is humbling yourselves and being near to God is the safest place you can be, even if your situations still look like crap even if they still look like hopeless. If you're near God, you're in the safest, the best place you could be. I love the way one preacher puts it. It's on the screen. There is a greater deliverance than deliverance from circumstances. It is deliverance from sin. You just keep it up there. And remember, Jonah is not being punished for sin. He's being, pun- he, he's being brought back from his sin. And God is being merciful to him by waking him up and putting him in the situation so he can be delivered from his greatest enemy, and that's not the fish, and it's not death, it's his sin. It's what separates him from God. God is being merciful. Can you imagine thanking God in the midst of a being digested? Or can you only praise God? Is your relationship one with God that you can only praise him when everything works according to your plans? When God does according to your desires? Now verse 8 we're going to spend some time on verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah's praying, but what's going on here? Who is he talking about? He's not speaking in the first person. He's speaking about other people. And I think this is revealing of his heart that you're going to see throughout the whole book, is that Jonah's issue is that it's those people. Hey, what's the big problem in the world? Them. Not me. I mean, you know, I got issues, but like, it's them. Jonah is praising God for not being like those people, just like the Pharisee in Luke. I thank God that I'm not like those other people, those tax collectors and sinners. 
Jonah has that kind of pharisaical heart in him, always looking down at other people, being better. Maybe you know people at church like that, and maybe you are that person at church like that. He's not realizing that he's actually the biggest idol worshiper. Let's talk about idols for a second. What's idolatry? See, because sin begins with idolatry, and it's a difficult concept. It's a difficult concept for Jonah, and it's hard for us. It's hard for Jonah because he's thinking in his head, idols, I don't have an Asherah pole. I don't have a, a statue, of, statue of Dagon. I don't worship idols. I worship Yahweh. I'm a good Jewish boy, right? And likewise, if you grew up in the, in the West, it's very unlikely you have a statue in your house of some sort of household god. And so you're thinking, well, Sam, I'm off the hook. I don't commit adultery. Uh, not adultery. Whoops. None of you can do that unless you're married. And you think to yourself, well, I don't, I'm not an idolater. Well, let's understand what an idol is. What is idolatry? There, there's a pastor named Tim Keller, a form, former pastor. He's retired now. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, which I find it helpful. I tend to agree with Tim Keller in a lot of things. And he has this helpful quote. It's on the screen. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And so when you think about that, that could be almost anything. That could be good things, good created things that God delights in, that we make ultimate things. Now, if you listen to this, and you, if, you're a, if you're a hard thinker here, students, then you can again object and say, whoa, how can God want that kind of attention and glory? That's so proud of him. That's, he's so arrogant, self-absorbed. He wants all the attention. Again, let me ask you a question. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Whom should God glorify than himself? See, when I say that God glorifies himself and his great end is to glorify himself, that can really tick us off. How dare you, God? But again, what's the alternative? For God to live to glorify you? How, how well will that go for the world? If God existed for your glory, how well would that go? I know some of you guys are like, that would be great. You don't know me, Sam. You haven't seen my jump shot. Yeah. I, but listen, listen, there's, there is no possible alternative that makes sense of God glorifying you. Because you are you. You are finite. You make mistakes. God doesn't. You are created. God isn't. You are limited in space. God isn't. You're limited in love. God isn't. You're limited in your power. God isn't. We need a God that's bigger than us, that we can make much of that we can live and exist for to make much of him instead of us. You, listen, God made you for himself. And I know that is so offensive. But listen, you are most happiest when you are living in light of your design. And your design was not to make much of yourself. And I know that can be offensive, but it's actually one of the most liberating realities you can walk into. You know how suffocating it is to constantly be worried about what people think of you? Guys, girls, you know what that's like? Put a post on Instagram or TikTok, and you're like, man, this, is, this one's good. This is going to get a lot of, lot of likes, right? Like, 
One minute later, what, what, what do people say? What are you thinking? What do you think? Right? People don't like it enough. You get offended. You get hurt. Man, people don't like me. Right? The constant press of our culture to self-glamorize, self-promote, be influencers. Right? You, you, you pull students today, top 10 career choices. One of them is influencer. But let, let, me, let me tell you this. What if what would make you happiest is not making much of yourself or getting other people to look at you, other people to look at you and think you're great, but that your whole life exists to make others see how great God is? What if self-esteem, oh, I'm getting in get trouble here. I said this to a bunch of junior hires, and they, it looked, I, I felt like there was an audible gasp in the audience, like I just murdered a puppy in front of them. I told them this, and I'm going to tell you this too, because this is our culture. We eat this up. Self-esteem is a lie. It's a lie. Doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't think you should like hate yourself. What I'm saying is, if you give yourself up to your design and get your heart caught up in a greater, greater one than you, then it's liberating and freedom. Then you just don't even care about yourself. You stop thinking about yourself. You have something called the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And what if your life and what if the reason why your life is so empty and why you have struggled and you've been searching for more to life is because you've been searching the wrong thing? Maybe you exist to make much of God, to get entranced and caught up into how beautiful and how good and worthy and powerful he is. And that's your whole heart's desire and affection. And then it just frees you from the fear of man. Some of you are so shackled by the fear of your friends because you have such a small view of God. As one book Titles it, when people are big and God is small. People are too big in your eyes for so many of you. And I just tell you, self-esteem is a lie. If you want esteem, you get caught up in his esteem. And then it frees you. And you don't care about what people think. And then you're free from the, the fear of man. But so many of you have been pumped this nonsense since you're a little kid. By, sadly, sometimes your parents, that, man, we got to build up your self-esteem. You need to feel good about yourself. You need to feel talented and smart and, and uh, accomplished. And that is a house of cards waiting to fall down. If you could let your heart just let go of that and just latch on to God's un- incredible love and affection for you and his glory and his goodness, I'm telling you, it is liberty. It is freedom. Amen. It is tiring to constantly try to promote yourself. And I wonder if any of you guys are sick and tired of it and want to give up. It's worth giving up. Now, that's a long, long side note. I do those from time to time. Now, the question is, how do you identify an idol in your life? Maybe you would concede to me there are idols out there, but maybe you don't have any idols. How do you find one? Keller says it like this. It's a quote on the screen. A counterfeit God, an idol, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And maybe you wouldn't feel like dying, but you will stop trusting and worshiping God if you lose it. See, we see this repeated throughout the book of Jonah. Jonah's willing to die when he doesn't get what he wants. God, if I don't get what I want, I want to die. And that's a perfect example of his idolatry. He idolizes himself. himself. He also idolizes his nation over God's agenda. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that if you lost it, you would feel like life is over as you know it? That if you lost this thing, maybe it's your health, or it's a hobby, or a career choice, or a relationship, that if you lost it, you would question God's goodness, His existence, His worthiness. 
essentially what do you look to in order to give you the highest joy and purpose? God deserves and requires the first place, the highest praise. And nothing short of that will do. And you have a problem with God if you're trying to compete with him to glorify. And you know this happens in the church too. Christian kids can put their own little twist on it themselves. And they're trying to be the best Christian. They're trying to know the most verses. They're trying to be the most excited in worship. Trying to do all this stuff. And it's all show because they're still trying to get the attention to themselves. You've seen those kids, right? They're here. Just always talking. I was talking about their, their, you know, all this stuff, and it's all about them still. They still haven't got their heart set on a, one who's greater. God is still pretty small in their eyes. It's still about them. They're just using God for their purposes. Let's move on. Verse 9. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Read this last line with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He does not know how true that statement is. We're going to see that in the next tonight even more. This is one of the most important lines in this whole book. We'll get to it later. And then verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out onto dry land. In Hebrew, that word vomit is vomit. It's just like blop. That, that's, that's, blop. That, that's the word in Hebrew. It's like blop. It just, just blops him onto the ground. So Jonah is delivered from this crazy, crazy situation he found himself in that he put himself in. So let me, let me land the plane here. So here's the thing. I know I said a lot of things that bothered some of you th- this morning, okay? If you listen. If you, if you weren't bothered, you probably weren't listening, okay? And again, I've got to ask you, not if you like it or not, but is it true? Is it true? Is, it, is this what God's Word says? And, and I wish I can get, I wish I had hours and hours with you, but I realize you won't listen that long. But let me, let me ask you some hard questions. How can we trust a self-serving God who is for his glory? How can we trust a God who's for his glory, who does whatever he pleases? That sounds so anti anything inside of us. Everything inside of us is, that sounds selfish. It sounds self-seeking. I I don't want anything to do with it. How, How can we trust his plan when it doesn't always make sense to us? I mean, some of you guys here have suffered great loss in your life. Some of you have really toxic, traumatic home lives. You say, how can I trust God who let that happen? I get it. I get it. I know what that feels like. So listen, I struggle with God and his glory and his purposes at times. But let me tell you the antidote I've found for my heart. The antidote that gives me clarity when I don't get what he's doing. When I don't get his plan and his purposes and what he's like. I look to the cross. We're going to get to it more about tonight, but let me give you a little preview. Romans 8.32, one of the most precious passages in the Bible. Would you read this out loud with me? Loudly, if you can. We're going to end, so end with me strong. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The father willingly gave up his son who volunteered to be the sacrifice of our sins, to be slaughtered for us. The son was the father's most precious possession, his most beloved son. If he could give up his own son for my sins, for me, this wicked sinner that I have been and sometimes can be, man, he must love me. Who is this God who would 
die for enemies. Who does that? Who do you know who dies for enemies? Who, who gets tortured for those who reject him? Can you fathom a God who would be tortured for his own enemies? See, what kind of God are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about a God who lives for his glory, who's about his glory because there's no other alternative, as we talked about, who does whatever he pleases because there's no other alternative that makes sense. And yet this is the same God that will die for you, that weeps for you. See, this is a complicated God that's not so clean and cut, a God who is both high and mighty and yet low and comes down to where we're at. See, when we look at God's plans, we can all struggle because we have this big thing called the problem of evil or so-called problem of evil. We say, hey, God, if he's good, if he's grand wise, there's so much evil in the world. But without directly answering that, let me just share with you a quote from Dorothy Sayers. I shared this with the students in the summer. But, but listen carefully. It's on the screen if you like reading along, but I'm going to say it out loud. Read out loud. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is limited and suffering, and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact, exact in other words, like ask for, he can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and through and thought it well worthwhile. See, we can question God's plan and why does he do what he do, does, but you can't question his heart. You see, this is a God that plays by his own rules, a God that suffers with us, that he plays fair. And though there are situations in all of your lives that don't make sense right now, I get it. I get it. And I'm not going to give you a quick pat answer of how it all makes sense. You look at the cross, you say, man, I, I don't see his hand in my life right now. I don't see how he's working, but I can trust his heart. I can trust a God who plays by his own rules. I can trust a God who will be sacrificed for my sins. I could trust a God who dies for enemies. And so my challenge for you this weekend and the rest of your life, will you receive this God for all that he is, not all that you want him to be? Will you let him be God and you get in your rightful place? Let him be all that he is and not remake him into your own image. And I really hope you don't reject him, but receive him for all that he is. And let him replace all your cheap counterfeits for the real thing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this hard word. It's good for our souls. It's good for our souls that are so prone to self-exaltation. Our hearts that are so prone to get people to look at us to be fixated and absolutely crushed by the, the thoughts of other people and our own agenda, our own dreams, our own plans for our life. Lord, I pray that these students would have the, the gift of, of, of just letting you be God and let you do what you please and let them delight in that reality and increasingly as they walk with you, know how good it is for you to be in control and how trustworthy and strong is your hand, are your hands and your heart to just let go and let you take over. Lord, be with these students today as they think about these things. Would you confirm these truths, Holy Spirit? Would you work in them deeply throughout this whole rest, the rest of this day until this next chapel, and then, and then some more, Lord. 
If there's anything I said that was in error and not faithful to your word, correct me, Father. But everything that is true, let it deeply transform us and increase our worship and our view of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.